0: Well, this is going to be a great day because it started off really bad. Um, I was driving up the church, get a phone call from Chris. Uh, there's a loud noise in the background. He has set off the alarm here at the church, which we all forgot about because it's relatively new. And um, Barry, who does all our cooking, he didn't hear his alarm. And so he overslept and, and, uh, so we, we got off to a slow start this morning, alarm going off.'t Nobody knew the code. Uh, we finally got it shut off. And Barry is downstairs. He is cooking the eggs, cooking the bacon. We're going to have that with you pretty soon. There, there are uh, biscuits and gravy out there. Uh, feel free to grab that. But we'll, we'll work our way through this. So it's going to be anytime this happens, it usually ends up being a good day. So two weeks ago, you know we took spring break. Hopefully nobody showed up this past week. But two weeks ago we talked about loving one another and uh, just how difficult that really is, yet it's a command of Christ that you and I are to love one another. Um, It seems almost impossible, especially for some of us, uh, just because of the way we are and how we act. But we're to love one another just as Christ loved us, which is sacrificially, humbly, um, not superficially, but lay it all on the line. That's the way that he loved us, and we looked at Philippians 2 in regards to that. This week, we're going to take it even a step further, because as difficult as it is to love one another, Jesus goes on in his commands and he gives us another one, and it's Matthew 5.43. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. Now, that one's a really tough one. It's hard enough to love one another, to love a brother in Christ, to love somebody that is similar to you, but man, to love your enemies. How about this in Luke 6? Jesus says, Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. I don't know about you, but I find that extremely difficult to pull off. To love those who hate me, abuse me, curse me, And and there's not a guy in this room that hasn't had that happen to him in some capacity. Somebody either in the workplace, it could have been back in school, it could could be somebody who just really took advantage of you, abused you, cursed you, um, spread rumors about you, and the natural reaction is to do what? Hate their guts and then get even. Take revenge. But what does Jesus say? He says, I want you to love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Now, I just put up a few faces that when I think about hating my enemies, this comes to mind. It's really hard, and I'll just be blatantly honest with you guys. It's really hard for me right now to even see anybody in a burqa, a turban, and not feel some kind of animosity. Uh, I was at the post office yesterday and standing in line with everybody else. You know, every time I go to the post office, there's usually one person working. I don't know what it is, but everybody, else, everybody's on break. Um, so we're all in line, we're waiting, and in comes a woman with a package, and she's wearing a uh, Middle Eastern burqa. And it was so interesting. I watched everybody's eyes watch this woman, and you could see it in their eyes. Uh, and there were white people, black people, Asian people, but everybody was watching this woman, and you could just see they did not like this woman, didn't know anything about her, but you could just sense the animosity. You know, this guy is an enemy for a lot of people. He's kind of the poster boy of enemies. We see his face. We hate him. We would love to read the paper tomorrow morning that he has been caught, he's been killed. How about this guy? I don't know him personally, but I don't like him. Um, because of what I think he's doing and what I think his regime stands for. These are pretty blatant enemies. How about this one? It's kind of a blast from the past. Madeline Murray O'Hare, the great atheist who disappeared. We don't know where she is. I think most of us are glad she's gone, except for the entertainment value. Um, But she was the enemy of the church. She was the enemy of everything we believe. She was the spokesperson for atheism. And I remember a debate that she had with, uh, this is years ago, but uh, with uh, W.A. Criswell. And she, as far as I'm concerned, she butchered the guy. I mean, she just, she won that debate hands down uh, because he didn't argue on her level. uh, And she just kind of shot down all of his theories, all of his thoughts. But this woman was the enemy of the church. For a lot of you, this this (laughs) face comes on the screen and... Maybe you hate her. Uh, you hate everything she stands for or who she's related to. Um, but some of you hate this guy. And you're glad he's gone, you know. This is kind of light. But the truth is there's feelings that come up, and there may be some in the room who hate this guy, who just hate everything about him. I don't know. You know I'm, we always make the assumption that everybody in this room is Republican. I don't know that we should do that. But maybe that face conjures up feelings. But I want to take it to a more personal level. This is Nick Kishlicki. Nick Kishlicky. When I was in 8th grade, 7th and 8th grade, this is actually out of our yearbook. Okay? You, you notice his likes. The only kid in the whole yearbook who got away with this. And I think he probably threatened to beat up the yearbook editor. But Nick Kishlicki was my arch nemesis. I hated his living guts. Now, he, he looks pretty innocent here, but this is not how Nick usually looked. Nick, Nick wore a black leather jacket, had his hair slicked back, he wore what we affectionately called Puerto Rican fence climbers, which were those real pointy black shoes with the high heels. Um, you remember, this is in New York. Um, notice he, he hates penny loafers. He hates fads. His <laughs> ambition was to be a mechanic. <laughs> uh, I don't think he ever achieved it. Um, I think Nick's probably in prison. But Nick, and Nicky Kishlicky is what we called him, Nicky rode on the same school bus as I did, and he would wait for me, and he would abuse me relentlessly on the school bus. Uh, remember, I've told you before, and it's not surprising, I was the shortest kid in my school, and Nikki, from the day I entered that school, he picked me out, because I was easy meat. And he just made my life a living hell. And Nikki was a guy that, this was in eighth grade in New York and we had gangs and Nikki was the head of his gang. And there was a Catholic school next door and they had their gang. And at least once a week there was a gang fight outside on the schoolyard. And these kids would wear like two inch black belts with a square buckle and they would sharpen the edges of the buckle till they were razor sharp and they would use them to fight with. This is the kid I had to, Ride the bus with to school and he made my life a living hell. I just see his face today and I just, I get knots in my spine because I hated the kid so much. I wish so much ill will on this kid. I wished he would get hit by the school bus. I wish somebody bigger would pick on him. I wish he had to live the life I live because of what he did to me. He was an enemy of mine. And when I think of the word enemy, this is what comes to mind. And I've got ones that are more current, but probably nobody I hated as much as this kid. I don't have a clue what happened to him. But I can tell you this I never wished well on him. I didn't wish that he would graduate. I didn't wish that he would, you know, be valedictorian. I, I didn't even wish he'd become a mechanic. I never wished anything. I wished ill will on him all the time because of what he did to me and how much I hated him. Who's your enemy? Who's your enemy? Do you have anybody that, you know, when that word comes to mind or when you hear the passage that we read just a little while ago, to love your enemies, does anybody's face pop into your mind and you think, there is no way in God's green earth I could love that person? We've all got them. Now, maybe you have to go all the way back to eighth grade. Maybe you have to go back to last week. I don't know. But everybody's got an enemy, somebody that comes to mind. And it's not not the... Madeline Murray O'Hares, it's not Bill Clinton, it's not Hillary Clinton, it's, it's not Osama bin Laden. It's, it's usually somebody a little bit more close than that, a little bit more personal, somebody that we hate, somebody that we run into all the time. You know, when you think about this, anybody that's cursed you lately, anybody that has used your name, spread rumors about you, said ill will of you, uh, taken advantage of you maybe in the workplace, um, somebody who has... Abused you in some way in a business relationship to where you, it just, man, you see their face or you think about them and it really just drives you crazy. You know, I had an, another relationship back a number of years ago. I had my own ad, ad, ad agency here in Fort Worth and one of my clients was a uh, Christian. He was actually an elder in a church. And this guy had a business, I did a whole bunch of marketing for him, created a whole bunch of sales brochures and materials for him, and he decided not to pay me. And it made me upset that he would not pay me, and I would call him and he wouldn't return my calls, and I would send him letters, he wouldn't respond to my letters. So finally one day I got fed up and I just showed up at his office and I sat in his lobby. And I, I, well, I asked the secretary, where where is he? She goes, well, he's not here. And I said, that's funny. His Mercedes is sitting in the parking lot. Well, he's he's gone. I said, well, I'll wait. He goes, well, he won't be back. And I said, I'll wait. I've got all the time in the world. And I just parked there. And sure enough, he comes walking out, sees me there, and has to deal with me. And so went back in his office began to talk to him. And I said, you know, why, don't, why won't you pay me? And he goes, well, this material is no good. It's it's Bad quality. I said, that's interesting. It's all over your lobby. You're obviously using it, so you need to pay for it. Bottom line was he refused. I took it to the elder board of his church. I took it to the pastor of his church. I tried to do what the scriptures say, and they would not deal with it. And the guy never paid me. And I hated his guts. Now, this is a Christian. This is an elder in his church. And I would see him in different places. It was just amazing how he would pop up. And I kept trying to forgive him. I, tr- I kept trying to forget him, and he would just show up. Or he would get mentioned. I went to work for another agency, and the owner of that agency had his books up on his shelf because he was a consultant. And it just, again, knots in my stomach. I hated the guy. I wished ill will on the man because he had taken advantage of me. But this study that we're going to do today tells me to do something I don't want to do. It tells me that I have to love those people. I've got to love the Nikki Kishlikis of the world. I've got to love the gentleman who didn't pay me. I've got to love the lady I used to work with who did everything in her power to undermine me in my career because she just didn't like me. I've got to love those people. And I find that very hard to do. As a matter of fact, I have to say, Lord, you've got to be kidding me. Why? Why in the world would you tell me to love my enemies? Remember the context. If we go back to Matthew chapter 5, which is where we found this verse. Matthew chapter 5 is a sermon on the mount. Jesus is speaking to Jewish people, to his disciples, and he's telling them to love their enemies. Who's the first person that comes to their mind? Who do you think comes to their mind when he says, you've got to love your enemies? The Romans. The Romans persecutors, abusers, take advantage of them. They pillage the land. They they force them to carry large loads for them. They tax them beyond belief. And Jesus is standing there saying, "You have to love your enemies." And I think they said the same thing. "You have got to be kidding me." No way. No way am I going to do that. So what is he commanding you and I to do this morning? Love our enemies. Love our enemies. That, that word for enemy is somebody who's hostile, who stands in opposition to you. Whoever stands in opposition to you. It doesn't have to be blatant, but anybody who just gets in your way or gets in your face, I am to love that person. Again, it could be a co-worker. It could be, it could be a child. It could be a spouse. It could be a friend. It says, pray for our persecutors. I'm to pray for them. Now, I've prayed for... About my persecutors. And I think you know what I mean by that. I have prayed about my persecutors. God, get rid of them, take them, implode them, (laughs) remove them in some capacity. I'll even leave it up to you. Just get them out of my life. But that's not what this means. And we'll find out. Pray for our persecutors. He says, do good to those who hate you. Do good. Gosh, Lord, what are you thinking? What are you smoking? Do good to somebody who hates me, and then bless those who, who curse you. Bless them. Bless those who curse you. He's told us four different things in the two verses we've looked at that we are to do. Now, here's what I want you to do. And feel free to get up and, and uh, get get more food if you want to. But here's the discussion. There there's some index cards on your table. I want you to individually think of somebody in your life, and it could be past, but preferably somebody more present, more today, that you could classify as your enemy. Okay, somebody has persecuted you, abused you, taken advantage of you, they've showed hate towards you, they've slandered you, harmed your name, tried to keep you from moving up the corporate ladder, whatever it is, I want you to write their name in that card. And then... What I want you to do is take a few minutes around your table and just share. You don't have to share the name because maybe he's sitting at the table. I don't know. <laughs> but share a little bit of that story of why this person is your enemy. Well, why, what did they do to you that would make you classify them as your potential enemy? And just spend some time sharing that. And then we'll get started again. And if you, if you're at a table with just one or two guys... Get in a a table where you get enough guys to make this happen. But everybody, I want everybody to write down at least one name. Keep it to one name, okay? Don't write down eight names. If you've got that many enemies, we need to talk. But just write down a name, and then I want you to share a little bit of that story around the table. All right. Hopefully you heard some interesting stories about how we came to have enemies. So... Who is our enemy? Who is our enemy? And I don't, don't say any names, but who is our enemy? Let's see what the Scriptures have to say about this. You know, Jesus, when He is teaching, in that whole Sermon on the Mount, we've looked at this before, He's really correcting some misconceptions and misrepresentations of the Scriptures. And that's exactly what He's doing here, because they had taken an Old Testament com- command and they had twisted it to their convenience. And we all do that, don't we? We're we we we're guilty of taking the Scriptures, and we can make the Scriptures pretty much say whatever we want. That's what they had done. And so Jesus, in giving this this command to love their enemies, He's really trying to correct something. Because in the Old Testament, in Leviticus, it said this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. No problem with that. That's kind of what we talked about two weeks ago. And these people really didn't have a problem with that. But Jesus is now saying... I want you to love your enemies. So he's trying to expand their thoughts on what this idea of a neighbor is because the Pharisees of Jesus' day were teaching the people to hate the enemies of Israel, that it's okay to hate the Romans. As a matter of fact, the Pharisees were guilty of hating the Jewish people because they felt like the average Jewish person held them back spiritually, held the nation back spiritually. There was a belief among many of the Pharisees that if they could get the people to live according to the law in, perfect, in a perfect way, like them, it would usher in the kingdom. And so, because the people couldn't keep the law, they felt like the people were holding them back. And so they, they looked down on the people. But the Pharisees were teaching the people to hate the enemies of Israel, They absolved them from loving anybody except your neighbor. You don't have to love them. You don't have to love a Roman. You don't have to love Caesar. You don't have to love the tax collectors. It's okay. You just have to love your neighbor. So what did they do? They redefined who their neighbor was. They redefined who their neighbor was. best place to see this, if you look over in Luke chapter 10, it's a story you're very familiar with. It's one of the parables that Jesus gave. The parable of the Good Samaritan. And Jesus is going to take this idea of loving your neighbor and He's going to expand on it. He's going to change the paradigm. He's going to make them understand that it's not what you think it is. It's more. This this is what Jesus always does. He, He takes our little world and He throws it upside down. So Luke chapter 10, we're going to be... Not look through the whole thing, but starting in verse 25, you have this lawyer. He shows up and he puts Jesus to the test saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So you get this guy, he shows up, he asks Jesus a question. He wants to know what must I do to obtain eternal life? Emphasis on do. Well, what what kind of effort must I put into this? Tell me what I need to do. So Jesus asks him, what does the law say? You're a lawyer, and this is not... A lawyer, lawyer, like today. This is a a gentleman who is adept and astute and an and a expert in the law of God. So he says, well, what does the law say? You're the lawyer. You tell me. So this guy goes back and he quotes from Deuteronomy and Leviticus. And here's what he quotes. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He knows his stuff. And he gets it out. Love God. Love God. Love your neighbor. So what's Jesus say to him? Jesus says, "Hey, great, good answer. You're right. Do this and you'll live. You'll have eternal life." So the guy, he's a lawyer. He, oh, wait a minute, any clarification here? Who's my neighbor? Don't you just love that? You know, okay, if if that's all I have to do to have eternal life, okay. Let, let's narrow it down. Who's my neighbor? I just, I don't want to go out of my way to love anybody I don't have to love. So clarify for me who my neighbor is. Verse 29. So Jesus launches into, and this is what Jesus typically does. He doesn't give just an easy answer. He tells a story. And he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Now you've got to keep in mind, and you know this, that Samaritans and Jews were sworn enemies. They hated one another. And we're not going to get into all the historical details, but they did not like one another. They... Jews considered Samaritans half-breeds. They were low-lifes. They were not full-bloods. And so they were looked down on. They were considered racial inferiors. If a Jew saw a Samaritan, he went to the other side of the road. It's the the story of the woman at the well that the men uh, that followed Jesus were shocked that he was talking to this Samaritan woman. She was shocked that he, a Jewish male, would talk to her. Why? Because of this very thing. They didn't get along. And they were viewed as religious heretics. They worshipped in a different way. They worshipped in a different place. Not in Jerusalem, not at the temple. So you, you have all of this going for this story. You, you've got this guy on the side of the road who's been beaten up and robbed. And the good Samaritan comes along. After some other people had passed him by. Again, you know the story. Yet, what is this Samaritan? You've got a guy lying on the side of the road. He's in need. By inference, he's probably a Jew. And the Samaritan comes by, and what does he do? Number one, the verse tells us, verse 33, a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. This Samaritan felt compassion. He, he, he sees this guy, and he feels compassion. An enemy, somebody who he really, man, I could just pass on the other side of the road, much like the men before me did. But then it says he showed mercy. He didn't just feel compassion. It says in verse 34, he came to him, he bandaged up his wounds, he poured oil and wine on them, he put him on his own beast, he brought him to the end and took care of him. He went out of his way and he showed mercy. Sometimes it's easy to show compassion. It's really hard to show mercy, to actually take action. He extended kindness. I mean, this guy went out of his way, bandaged his wounds, brought him to an end, took care of him, and then he actually gave money to the man. He expressed love. So you have this man. Remember, Jesus is answering this guy's question. Who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? The Samaritan, who this man would have hated, is doing something pretty spectacular, showing compassion Showing mercy, kindness, love. And what does Jesus say? Look at verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. Go and do like the Samaritan did. Go show mercy, love, kindness. Jesus tells a story to expand the idea that your neighbor's not this little world that you think it is. It's not just who you want to love. You've got to expand it to, you got to love those who are not very easy to love. Those who hate you, those who persecute you, those who curse you. So let's look at who are, who are some of the various enemies you and I have. The enemies that we face, and we find them back again in Matthew chapter 5. He says, those who persecute you. Verse 44 of Matthew chapter 5. It says, pray for those who persecute you. That, that word means they oppose you. They, they, again, stand in your way. They stand against you. They speak out against you. And they try to hurt you in some way, financially. Um, they hurt your reputation. They spread rumors about you, falsehoods about you. And they pursue you. That word persecute means to run after. It's to pursue with the intent to do harm. They want to go out of their way. You know, the, the woman I told you about, and I've told the story before, and I won't go into detail, but a lady I used to work for, work with, we were both peers, both VPs in the same company, and she hated my guts. And she went out of her way to spread rumors about me, to undermine me, to get me fired. And it was it was Daily. And I've told you before, there were days when I was in the parking lot, in my car, and she would come out that door, and I would, it would go through my mind, just for a second, hit the gas, and your problems are gone. You know, she opposed me, she hated me, she persecuted me, she spread rumors about me, and I hated her because she hated me. But what does this passage tell me? I was supposed to love her, love her. How about the evil and the unrighteous? Where do we get that from? In verse 45, second part of 45, Matthew chapter 5. He, God, causes his son to rise on the evil and sends rain on the unrighteous. So we're we're given, what does God do? How does God show love? And that's what it always goes back to. It's what does God do? What does Christ do? Last two weeks ago, we looked at how Christ loved us. Philippians chapter 2. How does God show love? He causes his son to rise on the evil as well as the good, the righteous, and he causes rain and to fall on the unrighteous and the righteous. It's God's grace. You know, when you get up and see a beautiful sunrise, guess who else gets to see that beautiful sunrise? Your sworn enemy. When you get to enjoy rain, when you get to enjoy spring, when you get to enjoy pleasant weather, So does the guy who hates your guts. God shows love to these people. And it's the evil and the unrighteous. Who are these? The evil and the unrighteous are are those people who are God's enemies and who defy His laws. They're the enemies of God. I don't want anything to do with God. I don't want to keep His law. I don't want to obey what He tells me to do. I'm going to resist His will. And they do not submit to His authority. Those are the enemies of God. Well, what does that have to do with me? So our enemies are those who repeatedly go against our will. Your enemy are those, those people, just like the evil and the unrighteous, who go against your will, who fight you, who oppose you. They resist your will. You say, go this way, and they say, no, no, I'm not going that way. I've had employees like that. I'm sure you have. You know, you tell them to do one thing, and they do the other. You've probably had bosses like that. You've had relationships, neighbors like that. They're contrary and antagonistic to everything you do. It just seems like everything you say, they take the opposite road. They're against your will. Those are your enemies, those kinds of people. It could be a rebellious child. Anybody in here got a rebellious child? Like maybe even just on one day they're rebellious? where they just go completely against your will. You tell them to do X and they do Y. You ask them to clean their room and they totally ignore you. And it goes from that extreme all the way to they're out of the house and they're totally against you and they're doing things that are totally against your will and your way and your belief system and your morals. It could be a rebellious child. It could be an unloving, unresponsive spouse who basically has taken a totally different road than what you take. And they're opposed to you and they fight you and they're against you all the way to the point where they leave you and they divorce you. What are we to to do with those people? Well, according to Jesus, we're to love them. How about a hard-to-get-along neighbor? I had one of those. Um, This guy was just a burr under my saddle because he was just a crotchety old man who nothing I did made him happy. And he was always complaining about... Everything. You know, if something happened in his yard, we did it. If something happened to his horses, my kids must have done it. You know, it was just always something, and it just, he was hard to get along with. And there were days I just couldn't stand the guy. Who's your enemy? How about that vindictive, corporate ladder-climbing ladder coworker who's just always trying to get ahead of you? You know, they take all forms, they take all kinds of manifestations in our lives, but who are our enemies? It's those people who stand against your will and your way and fight you. How about an irresponsible, underperforming employee? Ever had one? Ever been one? Um, You know, you need them to do their job. I used to have a a kid that worked for me in an agency in Dallas, and very talented young man, but he was the laziest person I ever met in my life, and I would, I would go to his desk, and he would be on the Internet looking at stuff. Nothing wrong, but he, he just wasn't doing his job. I'd say, you know, Barry, you've got to do your job. Yeah, I know. Well, when are you going to do it? Well, I'll, I'll do it. And then I found out that he had finagled a way to get TV on his computer in the office so he could watch TV in his cubicle. And it just drove me crazy. He, he was always late on assignments, and it always reflected back on me irresponsible, underperforming. He became my enemy because I couldn't get him to do what he was supposed to do. Well, how about those who don't love you? So you've got those who persecute you. You've got those who are evil, stand against you. They're unrighteous in their ways. But then just those who don't love you. Verses 46 and 47, Jesus says, If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. There are people out there who just don't like you. They don't love you. They don't show love back to you. They may not hate you. They may not persecute you. They may not abuse you. They may not even stand against your will. They just don't particularly like you. And they become, in essence, your enemy. Because they don't show love to you. You try to be nice to them, they're not nice to you. Um, You... That's kind of how my neighbor was because we went out of our way to try to be nice to this guy and and do things for them, and he just did not respond in kind. And in essence, he became my enemy because I didn't want anything to do with him. He was just uncomfortable to be around. The enemy is anyone, anyone who is not your brother, is what this really says. If, If I consider this guy my brother and I love him, and he shows love to me, and boy, we're all hunky-dory, and we love to see each other. In essence, what I'm, I'm saying is everybody else out there is my enemy because, well, they don't show love to me. I'm, they're not like him. They're not as much fun to be around, so they're kind of my enemy. What is Jesus saying? I've got to love them just like I love that guy. I've got to love my enemies. I've got to love those who don't love me because if I only love those who love me, what does Jesus say? What reward is that? How how difficult is that? Even sinners do that. Even those who don't know Christ can do that. If you greet only your brothers, what what does that mean? If you just greet somebody, and we'll get into this a little bit more, but if I just greet somebody and I say hello, and they don't say hello back, there's something wrong with that. There's something wrong with the picture that we, we like to pick and choose who we love, who we greet, who's our brother, and everybody else gets pushed to the side. What's the point of all this? Don't stop loving because the other person does these things, offend you. They dishonor you. They hurt your feelings. Ever had your feelings hurt? God, you know, forget you. I'm not going to love you. That happens between husband and wife, doesn't it? Your wife does something to offend you and just you know we go into pity party mode and we pout and just, well, I'm not talking to you. You know, let's forget that. We turn our back on them and we quit talking to them. Somebody who angers you, makes you mad, could be your kid, could be your spouse, could be a co-worker, could be a friend. Don't stop loving because of these things. Don't stop loving because they disappoint you. I've shared before, I fall in and out of love with my kids all the time. Why? Because they disappoint me. Now, I love my kids. I would die for my kids, but here's what happens. They disappoint me and they don't do what I want them to do and they can see my lack of love because it shows up in my face. I shake my head. Taylor, Hudson, Mandy, Kate. You know, it comes out in my voice. It comes out in my mannerisms and their countenance goes down because of what they see in my eyes. I've fallen out of love with them. Don't stop loving because they frustrate you. Here's a, here's a flash. You're going to get disappointed and frustrated by somebody today. Probably before you walk out the door. Don't stop loving that person just because they frustrate you or if they threaten you. If they threaten you with violence, if they threaten you with a lawsuit, if they threaten you I'm going to leave you, if they threaten you, don't stop loving. And I know this sounds totally impossible, but what did we say week one? It is impossible. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have asked us to do it because we can only do it through him. But we're also to not stop loving, even if the other person kills you, even if the other person kills you. You know, I've told you about this before, but uh, if you don't get this magazine, I would encourage you to get it. It's called Voice of the Martyrs. Um, This is not light reading, but it's convicting reading. This is about what's going on in the church around the world and it will blow your socks off. Let me just read this to you. This is in China. On July 29, 2006, about 1,000 CIM, Shaoshan church members gathered to protect their newly constructed church building. Riot police arrived and surrounded the building as bulldozers moved in. Fifty church leaders were arrested. They were charged with inciting or provoking violence against the government. One brother told us at about 1 p.m., riot police dressed in black. They numbered between 1,000 and 3,000 gathered along roads near the church perimeter. Their purpose was to block access to the church so more people could not arrive. Unlike the regular PSB officers, these riot police had no identifying patches on their uniforms. The first thing they did was to confiscate video cameras we had in place around the church. They also confiscated still cameras and cell phones in an attempt to prevent anyone from taking photos or informing others about what was happening. Some of the phones were stomped on by police and destroyed. I saw them use nightsticks and clubs against several Christians. Some believers were knocked on the ground unconscious. The police also held several women down by kneeling on their chests. Iron rods were used against some Christians, and several ended up with bruised and broken ribs. I overheard police shouting, We are going to send you Christians to heaven. They meant they were going to beat us to death. Another witness told our VOM representative church leaders urged Christians not to retaliate against the police. They said, catch this, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Some of us were scared, some felt hopeless, others prayed. I prayed to Jesus, please stop the violence and my tears. Almost everyone was crying and sad to see our building destroyed and church members beaten. A middle-aged sister told us we are convinced God allowed this to happen. He wants to use this to strengthen us, to lead us into a deeper relationship with him. We were not surprised by this. We were prepared for the the hardship. As evangelists in China, we know to expect this. We know our history and the policies of the communist government. Forgive them for they know not what they do. Man, that wouldn't have been my response. Love your enemies, even when they attempt to kill you. Loving your enemies means keep on loving them, regardless of what they do. Keep on loving them. So what is this love? We talked about this real briefly, but number one, greet them. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? That word "greet" means to bid them welcome, to wish well, to receive joyfully and joyously. Man, think about that with the, think about the name you wrote down: to greet them in that manner, to welcome them into your home, to wish them well, to receive them joyfully, to treat them in that manner. That's one of the ways we can sh- show love. Treat your enemies like you would treat your friends. Wow, not sure I can do that, Lord. Not sure I can do that. Show them honor, show them respect, greet them, welcome them. How about this one? Meet their physical needs. This one's really difficult to me. Again, in verse forty-five, b Jesus said, "God causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God's love is always practical, always. So loving your enemies means this, guys." Practical acts of helpfulness in the ordinary things of life. Think about ways you can help that person you hate or who hates you. Think about how you could love them. It could be... Here's a for instance. Let's say you don't like what's going on in your local government, your city council. Have you ever thought about maybe calling your city council, calling your mayor and saying, how can I pray for you? How can I personally pray for you? Here's what we do, though. We would rather... Bicker, moan, complain, fight, hate them, try to get them ousted out of office. But my Bible tells me that God is in charge of putting on the throne who's on the throne. So if he's put them there, I don't know who's going to be the next president, but rather than hate their guts and try to fight to get them off the throne, maybe we should pray for them. Maybe we should try to bless them, meet their physical needs. Maybe if you called up some of these people. And you said, how could I pray for you? You know what I think you would hear is, hey, would you pray for my son who's in rebellion? Hey, would you pray for my marriage because it's really struggling? Hey, would you pray for me as mayor because I don't have a clue what I'm doing? I think you'd be shocked what you'd hear. But see, we don't, we don't ask those kind of questions. In Romans twelve twenty, Paul says this, if your enemy is hungry, do what? Feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What are we supposed to do with these people that don't like us, people that hate us, persecute us? Feed him, give him a drink, do good to him, just like God sends rain and sun on both the good and the evil. And then pray for them. Pray for those who persecute you. Prayer is one of the deepest forms of love. It's really hard to hate somebody and pray for them. Now, I'll go back to what I said earlier. I prayed for these people in my life. I've prayed for God to destroy them, hurt them, remove them. I I did pray on occasion to change them, let them come to know Christ. But I I think what I've got to do is pray God's blessings upon them in whatever form or fashion that might be. That may even be pray His blessings upon them even if they never come to know Him as Christ. That they may prosper. Pray for them. Pray for those who persecute you. You have to want something really good to happen to them. You really have to want that. That God, I want your will in their life. I want them to come to know Christ. I want them to know true joy and happiness. Pray for them. Because prayer is interceding with God on their behalf. Stepping in and saying, God, I, this person's done next to me, but you know what? I want to lift them up to your throne. I want to lift them up that you would bless them. Again, it could be a child in rebellion. It could be a wife who's left you. A It could be a coworker. It could be... You name it. Pray for them. And pray for their conversion. Pray that they would come to know Christ. Not, not to make your life easier. See, that's what I've done. You know, if the, that woman I used to work with, if God would just change her heart, man, work would be so much more fun. No, no. Pray that she could know Christ cause so, so she could spend eternity with Him, not so I get some temporal benefit. Pray for them. And then pray for their repentance. Pray that they would repent. Not for what they've done of you, but for the rebellion with God. It's always prayer for their good. For their good. Pray for their good. Don't pray evil upon them. Don't wish God would just strike them down and, you know, hail would come out of the sky and only land on them. You know, don't pray those things, but pray for their good. Here's the kind of prayer, what Jesus prayed on the cross. Father, forgive them, just like these Chinese Christians pray, for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus could have brought down angels. Jesus could have brought down fire. He could have brought down lightning. He could have done anything. But he prayed, forgive them. How about Stephen when he was being stoned? Falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. If I'd have been Stephen, enough said. I don't think I'd have said this. This is the kind of prayer that we're to pray for those who despise us. Where does this love come from? How do we pull this off? How do we accomplish it? Do we just manufacture it, get up one day and say, well, i gotta, I got to love that idiot. Um, i got to love that woman who hates me. I gotta." How do we do it? Matthew 5 tells us this. Blessed are those are you when people insult you and persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you, because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So blessed are you, Happy are you when they insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you. We're to rejoice. We can not only endure the treatment of our enemies, we can rejoice in it. How? Why? Because our reward in heaven is great. This isn't all there is. We're not done. God's not done. We have a greater reward coming. That's why so many of these, these Christians in other countries can endure what they endure. Because they know, later on in this article, it says that, hey, if we go back to prison, if if we get handcuffed and taken to jail, if we get killed, we just get to go be with Christ. They know what their reward is. They know what the future is. The command that Jesus is giving you and I this morning to love your enemy is to set your mind on the things that are above, eternal things, not things on this earth. Because if you think about it, why do we have these enemies? Why do we get mad at people? Why do we end up in animosity with somebody? It's because of how they have impacted our temporal world. You have made my life miserable. You have made it difficult for me at work. You have taken advantage of me. You have done this to me. You have done that to me. And so we end up in animosity with them. But it's usually all having to do with temporal things. But we're to have our minds set on things above. We're to find our hope and our satisfaction in God and his ultimate reward, not in the way others treat you. Not in the way that others treat you. Don't let that hang you up. I love what John Piper says. Loving your enemy doesn't earn you the reward of heaven. Treasuring the reward of heaven empowers you to love your enemy. You see the difference? If we really believe that heaven's out there and it's real and that it's great and it's our ultimate reward... Then that should motivate us and empower us to love our enemy. That Jesus Christ is real. Jesus Christ came. Jesus Christ died. Jesus Christ rose. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's coming back. And someday I get to spend eternity with him. So, man, why couldn't I put up with a little bit down here? Why can't I love that person? You know, one of the key things, one of the key things that this does is it's so that, and this is earlier on in in, um, the Sermon on the Mount. It's so that the world may know that we are truly different. He says, see, the world doesn't know how to love their enemies, do they? That's why we have over 260-something wars going on right now all across this world. Because the, the, the world has no clue how to love their enemies. But Christians do. And if we would it, would, it would attract people to us like moths to a flame. They would know that we are truly His disciples, Well, here's what I want you to do in the next five minutes. I want you to take the card that you've got that you wrote the name on. And this is going to be real awkward for many of you, but I want us to spend the next four or five minutes in prayer, praying for the person on that card out loud, all at the same time. It's what's called a a symphony of prayer. And you're going to feel awkward, it's going to be weird. But you know what? If we're all praying, you don't hear the other guy anyway. And if you don't want to say the person's name because he's at the table, um, God knows who it is. But I want you to pray. And here's what I want you to pray. I want you to pray that God would show you how to love that person this week. I want you to pray for God to bless that person. However God chooses to bless them. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think we are to forgive our enemies. Doesn't mean we forget. I got a great memory. Um, that's one where where I'm not quite divine. Um, God forgives and forgets. I don't. But we are to forgive our enemies, and that's difficult, isn't it? But you know, if we if we could learn to pray for our enemies and lift them up and love them. You know, the guy that I told you about earlier that, I, that cheated me out of that money, I don't hate that guy anymore. I really don't. I don't, even, I don't think about him that much. I occasionally pray for the guy. I don't know what happened to him. I don't know where he is. But I survived that. God used that in my life. But if we would learn to love them, pray for them, just like Jesus is telling us here, I think it would change and help us forgive them because we would begin to see them through God's eyes and not through our eyes. So take a few minutes and here, just take your card and pray for that guy out loud for the next few minutes, and I'll close this in prayer, but pray that God would show you how to love them this week and that God would bless them in whatever way he sees fit this week. Bless them. So pray out loud for that person on your card. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. And I thank you, Father, that you loved me. And that while I was still a sinner, an enemy of yours, you sent your Son to die for me. Father, help me to see every person in my life in a a different way Help me to see them as somebody that I am to love. I'm to love sacrificially. I'm to pray for them. I'm to greet them. I'm to welcome them into my life. Not stiff arm them. Not wish them ill will. Not try to get even and seek revenge. Father, this is very difficult for us. But yet it's not impossible because you've given us the power to do it through the Holy Spirit. And I'm convinced if I could learn to do this, if the men in this room could learn to do this, it would would change our lives and it would change the world in which we live. If we would just learn to love our enemies. Father, open our eyes this week to those around us to be able to see those who, maybe it's the guy who pulls in front of us on the freeway and we get angry and help us to, Instead of responding in anger, to respond in love, to, to pray a prayer. If we see somebody who just conjures up animosity in our heart, help us to pray for them rather than think evil of them. Father, give us the mind and the heart of Christ, not for, just for those who are easy to love and those who are like us, but those who hate us and those who stand opposed to us. Father, I pray for the church all around the world, those believers who are standing under intense persecution and are feeling the hatred of of the enemy in a real way. Give them strength to continue to love in the face of that hatred. And may we learn to do the same thing. Father, thank you for these guys. Bless their day. Bless their week. May they be the men that you've called them to be in every sense in every part of their lives. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, guys. Take your lesson with you. We'll see you next week.